As you remain standing, let us come to God's word as you find it in Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 56. Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 30 to the end of the chapter, and as you're turning there, let us pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, and it will not because it cannot be broken. May you bless it now to our understanding, our hearts, our very lives. In Jesus' name, we ask it. Amen. This is the word of the living God. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found it, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, They laid the sick in the marketplaces 
and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the living God. Please be seated. The first part of chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark is very hard to read. The opposition to Jesus and his disciples is clear. He is not well received, not even in his own hometown. The apostles are prepared by Jesus for rejection as they preach among the villages, and we know what happened to John the Baptist and the way in which he lost his head. But now, as we move to the latter half of chapter 6, things seem to change. We move from rejection to acceptance, and even more than acceptance. We might even go so far as to say popularity. The crowds are back. They flock to Jesus. Jesus is welcomed, and he's overwhelmed. And now he is once again performing signs unlike in his own hometown where we were told that he healed very few because there was very little faith. The signs he performs are intended to teach us something. What do those signs teach us? They teach us something about Jesus. They teach us the answer to the question, who is Jesus? And the answer from this passage is very clear, and it is this. Jesus is the Lord, who is our shepherd. And so we will see this in three parts this morning. First, Jesus makes his people to lie down in green pastures, verses 30 to 44. Second, Jesus leads his people by still waters, verses 45 to 52. And third, Jesus walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death, verses 53 to 56. So first of all, Jesus makes his people to lie down in green pastures, verses 30 to 44. This section opens with the return of the apostles from their ministry among the villages. Previously, you may remember, they were commissioned by Jesus to go to preach and to perform signs, and now they are returning to him. They're reporting back about their activities. Jesus is immediately concerned, you'll notice here, for their welfare. They need rest after their arduous labors. There was much ministry to do. Many were seeking Jesus, and the disciples had much to tend to. In fact, they didn't even have time to eat, as we see in verse 31, no less a time to rest. So they get into a boat. The intention is to go to a desolate place. But they can't get away. There is no rest for the weary. People see where they are going. And they they run ahead of the disciples to the place where they are going to meet them there. So much for a desolate place. But verse 34 is where the real message of our passage begins. Look at verse 34. It says this. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, 
And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus is looking for rest for himself and his disciples. But seeing the crowds, he refuses himself the rest and he shows compassion. He is moved, in fact, by compassion itself for them. He looks upon them with pity. They are like the lost sheep of Israel. They are wandering. They are lost. They have no shepherd. There is no one to lead them by still waters. There is nobody to guide them along paths of righteousness. There is no one to teach them the truth. And so Jesus teaches them. Now the, significant, uh, the significance of that statement, that they were like sheep without a shepherd, cannot be overstated here for understanding our passage. In order to properly understand it, we need to understand the Old Testament background here. Think with me of Numbers chapter 27, verses 16 and 17. Let me read it to you. It says there, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation, talking about Israel as they're pilgrimaging, as they're wandering in the wilderness, who shall go out before them and come in before them, who shall lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. Mark uses virtually the same exact language that you find in Numbers 27 as Moses, and that's the one who gets appointed after this. The one appointed to shepherd Israel is Moses. As Moses would shepherd Israel, and then Joshua later would replace Moses to shepherd Israel. We see here that Jesus is being portrayed to us by Mark as a new Moses, a new Joshua, leading God's people in an exodus, a whole new, different kind of exodus, not from the land of Egypt, but from the land of the bondage of sin. So Jesus here is presented to us as a good shepherd who leads his sheep to a goodly land. There's also... In the background here, the prophecy of Micaiah, who in 1 Kings 22, we are told he envisions disaster for the nation of Israel. Israel is scattered among the mountains, we are told, like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus sees a similar situation here with the people as they come to him. They come up on a mountainside. And as they come up the mountain, as they approach the Lord upon the mountain, they too are known as being those like their ancestors of old who suffer under incompetent leadership. The priesthood, the Pharisees, the scribes, they all mislead. They do not feed the sheep. The land of Israel in Jesus' day is under foreign occupation, and the Pharisees and the scribes 
and the priesthood do nothing. The people are wandering. They're clueless. Spiritually, they are starving. But Jesus has compassion upon them. He will gather them. He will shepherd them. And he does so by teaching them. He provides them their every need, not only the spiritual need that is there as the word of God comes forth from his mouth, but he will also eventually go to the cross to lay down his life for his sheep in order to feed them everlasting life. But most important here in terms of background is Ezekiel 34, verse 5. There we hear about the failed leadership and eldership of Israel. Israel's shepherds, the elders of the time, in their neglect of duty, have scattered the lost sheep of Israel. Now this whole idea of Jesus as a shepherd to this lost sheep, to these lost sheep, is further supported for us in verses 35 through 38. There is a dialogue that goes on here, a conversation between Jesus and the apostles. And it pertains to the care of the crowds, of the sheep. Once again, the apostles are growing nervous, and we we know they tend to do this, don't we? The apostles always growing nervous as they do not yet fully understand who Jesus is. They do not yet fully understand in whose presence they are, that they have no need to fear or grow nervous or anxious. And so they urge Jesus to to send the crowds away. Send them away. Send them home. It's getting late. They're going to need something to eat. They'll need to go and find themselves some food. But Jesus has another idea. No, don't send them away. Don't send them away to go find their own food. You feed them. As if you were good under-shepherds. Feed them. Feed my sheep. You provide the hospitality. The disciples now are somewhat miffed. Look at their response. They say, how can we feed all these people? It would cost us 200 denarii. Now, a denarii, we have to understand, is, is a day's wage. So if you were a worker, typical, on average, in that day and time, you would receive a denarii a day. So we're talking about 200 days of labor, 200 days of work. That's over a half a year of labor and work. That's expensive. That's a lot of money. It was a lot of people to feed. So Jesus asks them, How much bread do you have? It's reported back to our Lord that they have two fish and they have five loaves. That's barely enough to feed the apostles alone, never mind a great multitude. But what Jesus does next is striking. He tells them to sit down on the green grass in groups of 50 and 100. Now, you can imagine it, can't you? Upon that hill, upon that mountain, groups begin to form. There is organization, there is order. 
50 here, 100 there. Do you see what has happened? That which at one time was scattered is now being gathered. Do you see it? The good shepherd is gathering his sheep. And we see that as he does so, he makes them to lie down in green pastures. Why the reference to the green grass in the Gospel of Mark? It is there in order to recall our minds to a pastoral setting, one where there is green grass and there is a shepherd and there are sheep who can feed in abundance, in comfort. The Lord is their shepherd. And they shall not want. Verses 41 to 44, the Lord takes the food. Just the, the, the pittance that's there. And he takes it. And he, he gives thanks as he looks up to the heavens where his father is. And then he breaks the bread. And he gives it to his disciples. Now, while this brings to mind the Last Supper, it is not itself the Last Supper, nor is it a communion service, though it is a meal. And as a meal, it is a covenantal sacred rite that is unfolding before our eyes here because Jesus, the Lord of glory, is its hospitable host and therefore reminds us of the manna that the Lord gave to Israel when they were in the wilderness. There the Lord gives bread as if out of thin air, Exodus chapter 16. Moses and his men go up into the presence of the Lord. You remember it, don't you? They go up where? On a mountain. And they have a meal in the presence of the Lord in Exodus 24. Do you see what Mark is telling us? The Lord, the God of Israel that we know from the Old Testament past, is now standing in their presence upon that mountain as their good shepherd. But what is remarkable here is the abundance. After the meal, the leftovers are collected. And, and not only did 5,000 men eat to their fill, but there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Indeed, the Lord has prepared a table before, and their cup overflows. Second, Jesus leads his people by still waters, verses 45 to 52. It's after the meal, and he makes his disciples to sail to the other side of the sea. But as for Jesus, he's going to go up to the mountain and pray. But Jesus, though he go up the mountain to pray, is still always mindful of his disciples. And we can see even as Jesus can see upon the mountain that they are not faring well in their voyage. The wind, we are told, is strong. The waves, the waters are kicking up surely against the boat, keeping it from making way. The waters unsettled as it is. Keep the boat from moving forward. 
Now, while this is a different event, it does remind us of the events that we learned about back in chapter 4, verses 35 to 41, where the apostles were, were drowning in the midst of a storm. And Jesus there, you remember, calms the storm. He speaks a word, be calm, peace, and the storm ceases, the waters calm. And he saves them from perishing. This is a different story. It's a different event, but a similar one. Here, we are not told, as back in chapter 4, that the disciples are fearing death, but they are suffering. They're suffering from the pain of not making progress. Now, Jesus, the compassionate shepherd that he is, we are told, came to them walking on the sea. Notice here, our Lord, his condescension, his coming down, his drawing near of his own initiative to his people. He comes down from the mountain, and from the mountain to the land below. And from the land below, he descends down into the sea, yet he remains upon the sea. He goes down to the sea, but doesn't sink into the sea. He remains on top of the sea. But they didn't understand, we are told, about the loaves. They didn't understand what the loaves was teaching them about Jesus as the good shepherd, the God of Israel. And they were hard-hearted, we're told back in 50, verse 52. But Jesus, in his mercy and his compassion, he comes to them anyway. He could have just let them sweat it out. Keep rowing. But he doesn't. He comes to them. Though they are hard of heart. Though they are thick-headed. He comes to them in compassion and mercy. And just, by the way, doesn't Jesus do that with us? Think about how, how thick-headed we are. How hard-hearted how hard we are. So slow to learn. So slow to see Jesus who he, for who he is. And yet he's always coming to us. Always condescending to us. And that's what we find here. We are told he walks on the sea. It looks like he's about to pass them by. He's not, he's not walking directly towards them. And so being off in the distance, they, they mistaken him and his identity. They think he's a ghost. <laughs> what a typical blunder of the apostles. <laughs> always with the wrong mindset, always thinking the wrong way and and once again, as the apostles are prone to do, they panic. <laughs> they cry aloud. We're told that they are spooked. But Jesus, he comforts them. He assures them that there is no need to be afraid. He identifies himself. He says this. He says, it is I. The Greek word here is... Ego, a me. Translated literally is I am. 
It's the same language that Jesus uses in John chapter 8, verse 58, where he says, as he identifies himself as the one who existed before Abraham, says, I am. And ego a me in the Greek is the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for the covenant name of God as he reveals himself to Moses in Exodus 3.14 when he says, tell him I am sent you. Just as the God of Israel delivered his people through the Red Sea by way of a strong wind, here the Lord delivers his people through the ceasing of a strong wind and he brings them safely to the other side. But what does the Exodus in this passage have in common? The one, a strong wind comes. The other, a strong wind ceases. But the theme is the same. Jesus has power over creation. He can call the wind into existence. He can take the wind out of existence. He is the Lord of glory, the God of all. He is not like any other shepherd. This shepherd has power that is omnipotent. Jesus leads his people by still waters. Third, Jesus walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death, verses 53 to 56. Jesus and his disciples, we are told, land safely in Gennesaret, and once again, he attracts the attention of the crowds. The people from the region begin to run to him and and run around gathering their sick. They are sick enough, we are told, to be lying on beds. These people are perhaps paralyzed. Perhaps they are so infirm even to the point of death. And they lay the sick in the marketplace, in the dust of the earth, down upon the ground. This in the hope that Jesus might pass by them, that Jesus might draw near to them. And if he does, they might be able to just just reach out and touch the fringe, the, the, the very bottom part of his garment, because remember, they're laying on the ground. Now, the word here for fringe is the word for tassel. And tassels were mandated according to the law, particularly in Deuteronomy 22.12, Numbers 15.38, for men to wear upon their garments. And so the tassels would be dragging along, down along the ground, at the lowest point of the earth. And the point of this detail is to emphasize the frailty of the sick. They're laying on their beds. They're humiliated upon the ground, too weak to stand, perhaps too weak to even speak. But they perhaps might be able to just reach out and the fringe of Jesus' garment might just brush across the top of their fingers. This reminds us of another Old Testament story. Reminds us of the bronze serpent. Do you remember that in Numbers 21? Consider God's mercy in that passage. The way in which the Lord, yes, in judgment brought these fiery serpents to bite the people of Israel, to cause them to be sick. But then God 
merciful and gracious, provided a bronze serpent to be held up upon a pole so that if the people of Israel, sickened by the serpents, would just just look upon the serpent, upon the pole, they would be healed of their diseases. They didn't have to lift a finger. They didn't have to do some works. They didn't have to have to pull their act together. They didn't have to try to do this or that to merit God's healing mercies. All they did was, was look and they would be healed. Here, too, Jesus comes along. They don't even need to lift up their hand to him. His tassel but brushes their hands upon the ground. He comes to them. He condescends to them in their weakness and frailty, just as he does to you and me. Consider the mercy of Jesus. The crowds are the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he is the good shepherd. He comes to his own. He gathers his sheep. He heals them of their diseases, and he walks with them through the valley of the shadow of death. But they fear no evil. And neither do you. Fear no storm. Fear no ghost. Fear no hunger. Fear no sickness. Fear no death. Because your shepherd is with you and he comforts you. And now... We are comforted, are we not? For the feeding of the 5,000, the calming of the wind and the sea, and the healings of those walking through the valley of the shadow of death all point beyond themselves to something greater, something more permanent. For you see, the people upon that mountain who were fed, they would hunger again. The apostles who were freed from the struggle of the wind, would yet once again find a headwind that would push against them. Those who were healed, though they had become well, would once again in their lives eventually grow sick and then die. But Jesus is a good shepherd who cares and shows compassion upon his sheep throughout the entirety of their lives, even into the age to come. From the beginning, he is your comforter as he comforts you with his rod and his staff, with a comfort that is greater than all the bread in the world, all the ceasing of winds, and all the healings of your diseases. He is with you even unto the day when you will dwell with him in the house of the Lord forever. So he feeds you with himself. He gives you your daily bread in himself. He provides you, yes, with all of your earthly needs. He gives you what you need for life, but in addition to that, he grants you so much more. Because he is the bread of life. To all who feed upon him by faith are assured 
of everlasting life. That is because Jesus broke his body and he shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Therefore, be comforted to know your shepherd has laid down his life for you. But secondly, he leads you by still waters. You know your enemies pursue you. But Jesus promises to bring you safely through, and he will drown your enemy in a lake of fire forever, covering that enemy with a sea of glass. And that watery tomb will be as glass at your feet as you triumph over your enemies forever on that great and awesome day. He will deliver you safely to Emmanuel's land, that Canaan, which is not of this earth, but is reserved for you, the people of God in heaven forever. Be comforted to know he is your compassionate shepherd. He is with you and delivers you to heaven's shores. Lastly and finally, your compassionate shepherd heals you of all your diseases. You need not fear, even if you were to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. He is with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. There is nothing that the world, the flesh, and the devil can do to you to destroy you or to disconnect you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Our lives may be required of us at any time, at any moment. The ultimate disease is death. But Jesus is risen from the dead. And he will raise you who have been united to him by faith. Though you die, yet you shall live. The healings of the sick are intended to draw your attention and your faith to your future resurrection from the dead. You will be raised on that day to newness of life, never to die again, and then forever to dwell in the house of the Lord. Be comforted, Christian. Be comforted. In times of want, you shall not want for all the good things that your Father has prepared for you. In times of opposition from the evil one, be comforted that your good shepherd leads you by still waters. In times of uncertainty, sickness, and death, be comforted and know that in him you have life. Let's pray. Father, thank you, O God, for your word and for the comfort of Jesus Christ. Make him our all in all, setting our attention upon him, that shepherd of our souls. It's in his name we pray. Amen.